Good morning. This is Beth Marshall, and this is the Time to Heal podcast. We have a real special guest with us this morning, all the way from Texas, and I wanted to welcome our friend Taryn Davis. Hi, Taryn. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. For those of you that do not have have not had the honor to meet Taryn or don't know her story, she is the founder and the executive director of the American Widow Project. Okay, now, y'all, I know when you hear those words, you're thinking this is going to be some older ladies. Taryn, could you just take a minute and straighten us out on what we can expect to hear about this morning? Well, I was 21 when I became a military widow. I'm currently 26, and uh, this morning I'd really like to change everybody's um, view and maybe the stigma that's been put on that word and, most importantly, um, give people the ability to find pride in um, their perseverance and in everything that they've um, gone through and made it to the other side. Mm, you give me chills to hear you speaking. Before we get started, I, I think people can tell by your story, but last year you were named one of CNN's top 10 heroes in America. And um, Taryn, can you just tell us a little bit about what happened when they called you with that? <laughs> I was actually at one of our AWP events in South Carolina, driving a van of 12 widows when they called. And when they found out I was driving, they said they were going to call me back in about an hour. And I had to be alone, and I sat outside of our little rental, and I was just totally shocked. It was nothing I could have ever dreamt of, and to be among the other nine, um, you know, is, is, I think, the biggest award in itself. Oh, man, it was so fun to follow that. Um, and definitely, I think when we think of our men and women that serve in the military, we do think of heroes. And we, when we see them in the airports, I th I've seen people stop and buy their lunch, buy them coffee. But the people like you, Taryn, and the ladies that you serve, to me, are every bit as heroic as those who serve. And I just want to take a minute and just say thank you if we don't say another thing today. Um, for those of you that give that sacrifice that people don't even see behind the scenes. Well, thank you. That means a lot. But um, if you don't mind, I know that you have told this story a few times, but could you just take us back to five years ago? What kind of what was going on in your life? Because I know you were 21. You were not very old then. I was a senior over here at Texas State University in San Marcos. Michael uh, was on his almost nine months. Um, uh, I'm not on his on his year term, he was about nine months in, I guess, over in Baghdad, Iraq. And I really just woke up like any other day. I was kind of like Pavlov's dog. If I heard the ding, ding of instant messenger, I knew it was Michael. So I woke up at 7 a.m. and got to speak with him. And we really talked about mundane things. When he was over there, we didn't talk about bombs or people dying. Um, he wanted to know what was happening in our world, you know, what happened on Grey's Anatomy the night before, what the dogs had been doing, um, what I ate for dinner. Oh, and um, he had to get off very abruptly, and I knew that that most likely meant that they were being called out on a mission. And even though I had said, I love you, and I'm in love with you a million times during his deployment and his whole life, um, that morning, I, I know this sounds cheesy, but I love you more than life itself, and mm -hmm. I just want to hope you know that. I can't wait to see you again. And he typed back, that's so sweet, baby. I'll try to get back on later, but I might not be able to. And I went on with my day. I was a real estate agent, so I went to my office, um, spoke with my family, some military friends, 
ended up at my parents' house that evening to watch the hero season finale. I uh, putting our dogs on the leashes when my neighbor called my parents' house and my little sister picked up. And at this point, it was around 10 o'clock at night. So when I answered the phone and was speaking with Danny, who lived across the street from me, I thought that maybe he wanted me to speak to his daughter, who um, earlier in the week he had asked me, you know, when she was to come into town, if I'd be willing to just kind of give her a pep talk since she wasn't doing too good in life. So I immediately thought that his daughter had shown up to their house at 10 o'clock at night, and he wanted me to come over and talk to her. I was really disappointed with the season finale, and I was tired, and I really didn't want to. Uh, So when I said, what's going on, Danny? And he said, you know, you need to come home. I kept thinking it was his daughter. So I said, okay, why do I need to come home? Hoping that he'd say, it's my daughter, and I'd be able to say, can we do this another time? And instead he said, there's two men here that need to talk to you and you need to get home as soon as possible. At that point, I just kind of went into this total state of shock um, and panic. I dropped the phone. I ran upstairs. I was screaming for my mother. My father was out of town on business. She came running down the hall. I was having a panic attack. And all I could say was Michael and there's people at my house. And she just said, Taryn, it might be an injury. You don't know what's going on. Um, I ran downstairs outside. I uh, was trying to reach my dad. was finally able to reach a military spouse whose husband was in Michael's unit. And she later told me she couldn't understand me and thought one of our dogs had been hit by a car. At that point, my mom ran outside to our next-door neighbor's house, who was a local police officer who had gotten Michael and I out of plenty of speeding tickets in our <laughs> high school days. Love and that. She- right. <laughs> She knocked on his door and she said, I can't drive. Taryn can't drive. Um, can you get us to our house? And I knew it was a 10-minute drive. It was the longest 10 minutes of my life. I just kept praying out loud, dear Lord, let it be an injury. Mm. We took exit 209, took a U-turn, one right turn, one left turn. And at that left turn, as I looked down our street, I obviously saw two men wearing the same uniform I had just married Michael in a year and a half before waiting to notify me that he had been killed an hour and a half after our conversation, after a man detonated 2,000 pounds of explosives underneath his vehicle. Oh, Darren. I bet you cannot even describe what was going through your mind at that point. Uh, Yeah, I remember we pulled up in the car, and I just got very quiet. And uh, at that point, you just start thinking about movies and what you see on TV, and you never really expect it to be you. Um. And so I, I just sat there on our patio chair, and I let them walk up to me, and they were shaking. And in my mind, I was thinking, I can't wait to tell Michael about this soldier who can't even uh, keep himself composed to notify this wife. Because at that moment, it's sunken that I was the wife, and Michael was the one that they were notifying me had been killed. Um And then they said, the Secretary of Defense regrets to inform you. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, I started dry heaving, and um, it really had sunk in. It had to have been worse than anything you could have imagined before that day, I'd imagine. So you weren't by yourself at that point. Is that Um, right? My mother uh, stood next to the car with our neighbor, you know, my grandparents lived across the street. Then my other neighbor who had called me 
they were all just kind of standing in the street watching uh, me die um, in reality. Um, so I felt alone. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. The days that came to follow, I'm talking the next couple of weeks, do you even remember that or is it more of a fog to you? Just trying um, to put one foot in front of the other. I unfortunately do remember it. You know, I remember waking up the next morning and opening my eyes and laying in my bed in this controlled environment and thinking that maybe it was all some horrible nightmare. But then hearing the people out in the living room talking and the the officer um, coming in and handing me a binder to start picking out which urn I wanted to put Michael's ashes in. And um, at that point, I kind of got into this mode of, um, I just have to live until Michael's memorial service because I want to make sure everybody knows the man that I know, and so I had to write um, his obituary. I had to give the eulogy. Um, I had to create everything for the, just to make sure it was up to his level. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. Huh, you just I think you do what you have to do is what what you did those days. Well, I remember there was a point you described to me where you realized how unique your situation was when you would did you tell me that you started to travel around the country eventually? Tell me how that worked out when you felt like you needed to find some other people that could maybe understand what you were going through. Yeah, well there's a, a quote that I'm pretty sure everybody knows that and three months later, uh, that quote just wasn't coming true for me. And I, I truly um, hit rock bottom. And when I say truly, I think it's when you get to the point where taking your own life seems like a much better thing than actually having to wake up each day. Um, which has shocked a couple people since, you know, I just asked that around. But they didn't understand, nor did I feel like understand. Uh, what I was going through. So I hit rock bottom, and that night I remember thinking of Michael and what it would have been like if roles had been switched, what he would want more than anything. And I know that it, to be alive, to be able to stand next to me, uh, with me. And I knew at that point that I had to at least try to live for Michael until I could find a way to live for myself. And I knew the first step in doing that would be in embracing my title as a military widow. Mm-hmm. So being a college student, I went to the one place I could find all answers. I went to Google. Okay. I typed in widow, and it came back with a response, did you mean window? And that response really was the catalyst to me seeking out other young widows um, and wanting to hear their story and put it on a medium where I could share it with other women who probably felt like me. So I reached out to the widow whose husband was sitting next to Michael and asked her if I could fly to Atlanta and ask her everything from how she met her husband to how she was notified to, most importantly, because I was still looking for the answer, is what makes her get up every day and want to continue not only existing but um you know living well one thing uh, oh go ahead I was gonna no 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 no. no, I was when you touched on something right there you said tell you know tell me about your husband and I think what you uh, counseled her through is one of the best things we can do for somebody when they lose somebody is to give them a chance to talk 
you know, to, did you appreciate it? I know people, we don't know what to do when somebody dies. I think we're all a little bit awkward with that. But um, I think one of the things that I've seen that is so helpful, and it always seems to be appreciated, is to say, tell me a little bit about Michael. And you were doing that to her. You were providing that outlet for her. Yeah, because I was basically asking her all the questions that people had stopped asking me that I wanted people to continue asking me. And when I did meet with her face-to-face, there was just this instant camaraderie, this instant sense of belonging. And um, as hard and difficult as it was at times to hear that someone else had to go through the same level of pain um, and struggle, it, it really empowered me to want to continue living if I knew that she could do it as well. So I wanted to provide that same sense of belonging and that same sense of healing to every military widow um, that maybe wouldn't have the chance to fly across country to meet a stranger um, and ask her the questions that I was able to ask Jessica. So from and, that one meeting, you got the idea in your head, maybe this there's something here that we can do to help some other military widows and help yourself. I know when we help people in grief, we're also helping ourselves. Have you seen mm-hmm. that to be true? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the saying goes, a grief shared is a grief halved. Um, yeah. And a grief repressed is a grief doubled. And uh, I definitely believe that is true. And, you know, there was one moment when she was speaking about her husband that I just saw that gleam in her eye mm-hmm. come out. And, of course, it faded away. And I recognized it as soon as I saw it because it was the one thing that made it difficult for me to look at photos of myself because I never thought I'd look that way again. Right. And so I wanted to create an organization where we could continuously make that gleam come out and uh, prove um, to ourselves and to others that it's more than just some fleeting moment while thinking about our spouses. It's something that we can capture again and um, kind of incorporate into this new chapter of our lives. Right. Well, you're doing that. You're doing that. And I don't want to move too quickly through this, but I've got to know. So how did you go from this one new friend to an organization now? How Do you reach over a thousand ladies in America now? Yeah, we're coming up on 1,300. Uh, You know, it it really just started as I was searching for women for the documentary. And then after applying for our nonprofit status, our 513, I really used social media, which seemed like um, a natural place to start since majority of us, our main form of communication with our spouses was Skype, was Facebook, was MySpace, was Instant Messenger. So to find widows in that way... um, it was pretty easy. We started off with MySpace, and when MySpace faded out, we transitioned over to Facebook, and um, that's how we found a lot of the widows. And then from there, we were able to let them know about our website, which connected even more, and from there, our events that are face-to-face. And we've um, had a lot of amazing media done on our organization, which has already, I mean, also allowed um, hundreds of thousands of widows to know about our cause. I just think the more the word gets out, the more people will get helped. I noticed also that you were one, this is a great title, one of Newsweek's magazines, 150 Women Who Shake the World. Now, from what I know about you, you're probably about the top of that list. I don't know how I get put on these lists. 
Oh, there. Oh, and gla- yeah, Glamour magazine hasn't left you out either as one of their 21 amazing women. So anyway, um, speaking of your website, as you were, I really want to encourage anybody that has not been there. It's AmericanWidowProject.org. Is that correct? Okay, um, to go there, because when you hear the words American Widow Project, what comes to my mind is it's going to be all gray and sad. And that element is definitely there because it is the place for women to go and share their stories, which is the, what keeps it so strong. But the element of the craziness of you people, could you shed a little light on when you people, when you get together, what some of your events look like? Yeah, well, uh, the average age of a service member killed is 26 years old. So you can imagine that if 52% of those serving are married, we have a very young generation of military widows. And no offense to um, different approaches to, um, you know, grief and support, but the last thing I wanted was a counselor. The last thing I wanted was to be sitting on an, in a conference room um, with a PowerPoint um, I knew for me the only way I could live again was if I actually went out there and started doing it. And um, by pushing ourselves outside of our physical comfort zone, prove to ourselves that we can push ourselves outside of our mental comfort zone and in a way our grief comfort zone that we can get stuck in. So we've done everything from skydiving to surfing to parasailing to giving back and finding the healing and altruism by rebuilding homes in New Orleans, providing Christmases to orphan children, removing graffiti, to events that are focused around introspection. Um, so we've done art therapy on the beach, yoga, meditation in the Tennessee mountains, We've really gone all over the U.S., and we've done coming up on around 25 of these all over the country. It's It just it overwhelms me from where you started five years ago to your journey of thinking, I don't know if I can do this another day, to your being on the healing side as one who is giving um, other women a reason to live. And, Taryn, it, just, it overwhelms me when I hear what you're doing. Um, if people, if someone listening wants to get involved as far as, you know, I know there are lots of ways, volunteering, but can you just shed a little light on that about some of the best ways that people, if somebody wants to help today and get plugged in, what would you suggest? Well, I mean, monetary donations are always fantastic, but, you know, I love tangible things. I mean, at our last event we just did in California, we had another military widow put together welcome bags for every single widow who was coming for that event. And she put everything in there for chocolate and and those crying moments to beach towels, to journals, to books on healing and and being a survivor, uh, to gift cards. And I mean, those things were great, but what meant the most was when those widows found out about this stranger who knew their same level of grief, who spent the time to put that together. I mean, we've had people donate seasoning packets to put in these welcome bags. Our last event, uh, Wounded Warrior's Wife had donated all these seasoning packets. It's really the tiny little thing that I think will mean the most. Um, So, I mean, uh, we had a a little girl in fourth grade do a Valentine's Day card event where she had all of her little fourth grade students write Valentine's Day cards for widows that we'll be distributing out to them next Valentine's Day. I have messages of hope. So, um, you know, if 
making an actual monetary donation isn't your thing. You know, there's the welcome bags. Uh, Tabitha um, is another widow who's our volunteer coordinator, actually has hundreds of different ways that you could help out, even if you wanted to hold your own event. Um, if your husband loves bowling and you want to do a bowling tournament as a way to carry on his legacy but to benefit our organization, you know, you can do things like that. And you can find her on our website underneath um, about us and our crew and her email and all that's on there as well as a volunteer button where you can fill out a form. So there's lots of different ways. And um, we just want people to do what feels most comfortable um, for them. Absolutely. Well, this sounds like the sky is the limit. Um, really is the situation because people come up as time goes on with new ways to help, new practical ways to reach out. Let me ask you just on a a level of anyone who has lost a loved one. You know, as we said, our culture feels a little awkward and we don't want to do the wrong thing. But rather than doing nothing, what would you, some of the practical things that I see as a widow really needing are someone that might just stop by and cut your grass or things like that. Are there any real, like, very specific things that people have done just to reach out to you as a single woman who's handling it all on your own now? Well, the funny thing about our culture is that they're so, they look at death as such a taboo thing, and yet it's something that's going to touch all of us at some point in our life. Yeah. And believe me, I've learned that by embracing it and, and realizing that by understanding how finite life is, you can actually live a more fulfilling life um, is something we want people to understand. But, um, but no, I think... You know, little things really do matter. Remembering anniversaries, wedding anniversaries, birthdays, things of those sorts. I mean, that that means so much. I mean, I still have people that will drop a little flower and a card off simply outside on my patio to remind me that they're thinking of Michael and I. So, you know, as time goes on, I'd like to say that, you know, the same level of support is there, but it does, it does kind of fall to the wayside for a lot of people yeah. and I think it's really the little things um, even if you're on Facebook send them a Facebook post saying I'm thinking of you that means a lot but um, you know it's yeah. the little things that really mean okay. the most as the years go on absolutely well to show that especially our military heroes have not been forgotten and I think that you've done a real good job of giving the women an outlet, a place to go and to remember their heroes as you refer to them, which is exactly what they are. Um, Taryn, I want to share with our listeners just a couple of quotes from your website about the difference that you guys are making to people's lives. And one said, the American Widow Project has given us friendship, kinship, love, and laughter. The laughter part just makes me makes my heart smile. Um, one woman said, I, I no longer feel alone in my grief, which is exactly where you were five years ago. You know, you felt like I'm the only one that's ever experienced this. And one of the most profound to me was one young lady said, you've given me a reason to go on. And, um, you know, if one person is to experience that, then you've done enough you've done your job but it seems like the outreach and the ministry you're doing just keeps on going and I just need to say thank you to you for what you ladies are doing I just want to encourage anybody that is not taking a minute to go to this website to go to americanwidowproject.org and see the life that you're going to feel with these women and what is with the kayaking in the ocean whale watching Yes, um, in about three weeks, we're heading up to Seattle, and we're taking 
a group of amazing widows from all over the country kayaking with orca whales, um, zip lining, and uh, lots of other fun things. We're taking them on a food tour, um, doing a couple of things to remember their husbands and how far they've come on their journey. And our weekends are amazing. You know, they come in Friday as strangers and they leave Monday as best friends saying, I love you and I can't wait to see you again. And for me, that's what I hope to see. And I have seen these women come to these events, but little events with the widows that they make friends with. And, uh, you know, that's what I want. It's kind of that pay it forward mentality where, you know, they they can continue it for others um, in their area. And Taryn, the one thing I think I've seen with grief is when we can reach that point, someone asked me, what is a definition of healing? through grief, and I don't know that we're ever fully healed, um, you know, on this side of heaven, but um, one indicator to me of healing is when we're to the point we're wanting to reach out to another person. And what I've seen is there's so much power in that, and there's so much life in that to be able to share your survival, your strength, your smile, your laugh. I think that was one of the most surprising things after uh, various grief seasons that I've been through is that it is okay to laugh. Can you just mm-hmm. give us one moment on that? Uh, I felt I couldn't even laugh in public for a whole year um, because I, I felt that by laughing, people would think I was over Michael and I was grieving him and yeah. they didn't have to talk quote the dead guy anymore. Mm. And it wasn't until my first ADBP event that we were tubing in the Guadalupe River, and I, I caught myself just cracking, like my belly hurting, laughing, and I stopped myself. And as I stopped myself, I started looking around, and I saw 30 other women who I knew all received from the door that all have that folded flag on their mantle, and I saw them laughing. And I saw the courage they had to not care what anybody thought because they knew that within that group, they knew that, Grief is a lifetime process, and that the love that we share with our loved ones that have passed on is something that never dies, and that within that group, you know, they were accepted. And so I kept on laughing, and I've been able to keep on doing it for five years now, and um, I'm just eternally grateful for those that wow. well, showed I think, me that it's possible. I, I think what your group has shown people, the American Widow P, uh, Project, has shown us that, yes, it is okay to cry, but it's also okay to laugh and to live again, which is exactly what you all are doing. Taryn, I'm going to definitely, when we get um, ready, we're going to go ahead and post this podcast on the timetohealjournal.com website, also hopefully on yours. And just to me, the more people that we can get this message out to, the better it's going to be. I'm just asking, do you have any closing words, or if there is that woman or just any person that's just maybe gotten that phone call? or the traumatic shock that hits us just like a physical blow. Do you just have any words in closing that you would like to share? I think just remember that you're not alone and that each one of us have been in that place where you you feel like giving up is the easiest thing to do and um, the best idea of things to do. And there's many organizations and individuals out there that their sole goal is to remind you that you're not alone and that you have a place where you can share the funny things that your loved one did or you can share those special moments that you feel like nobody else wants to listen to because there are those of us out there that want to hear them and that celebrate the eternal love that you share. And 
that is not only carried on by you, but by all of those, you have the strength and the courage to share it with as well. Right. Well, I tell you what, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're a very, very busy lady, especially around the uh, patriotic holidays. We'll see Taryn probably on CNN, maybe on Fox News. <laughs> so everybody be looking for her gorgeous smile and these beautiful women that she um, works with every single day. But Taryn, it's been a great pleasure to be with you. I just pray God's greatest blessings on you. Um, as the, you've just turned your life into a message of hope and of healing and of life and uh, reaching out to others. And I wish well, you the very you. best. Thank you for all you do. You do. We've, we've been honored to include your book in our welcome bags. And, um, in fact, you have just important Thank you. All right. We'll talk with you soon, and thanks so much. Bye. Bye.